everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Today, I am joined by Alexia Vernon, and we're going to be talking about stepping into your moxie. What's moxie, you ask? Well, Alexia defines it in the episode, but if I were to define moxie, it would be really like stepping into your mojo, stepping into your purpose, stepping into the fullest expression of who you are in all aspects of your life. And one of those aspects of life is stepping into your moxie in terms of your career. Now, I know a lot of you out there listening are coaches, life or health coaches. A lot of you are current or aspiring entrepreneurs, and you probably have some questions about what it takes to really build a thriving business, and you probably have some fears and you have some curiosity, and I want to help you with all that. (laughs) I have had my business for coming up on 15 years now. But I've never really shared in great detail how exactly I built it and what are the fears that I had to overcome and what are the biggest mistakes I've made and what are the strategies and practices that I've put into place that really, really, really make my moxie successful. So I decided to put together a free audio for you where I share all of that. Jill Esplan, who's been with me in this business for the past decade, joins me and we there's really nothing we don't talk about in this free audio that we're calling insights from the inside of my business. So if you want it, all you have to do is go to christinehasler.com slash business and it's all yours. Again, christinehasler.com slash business. Okay. Let me tell you a little bit about Alexia. She is the author of the book, Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility, and Influence in the World, branded a Moxie Maven by President Obama's White House Office of Public Engagement for her unique and effective approach to women's empowerment. Alexia is a sought-after speaker and leadership coach to female and male executives, entrepreneurs, and changemakers who want to spread their ideas, positively impact lives, grow their business, and advance their thought leadership. She's a renowned women's empowerment speaker who's committed her life to showing women how to step into their moxie. Enjoy my heartwarming and inspiring conversation with Alexia. Alexia, I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us on Coach's Corner. Thank you for having me. So I love this book, Step Into Your Moxie. And I love that you're calling it Moxie because I love books where you think you know what it means, but you don't really know. Like even when I wrote Expectation Hangover, I, I made it up, but like people kind of knew what it was, but I don't want to make any assumptions. So I'd love to start with you defining what does that mean? What is What does Moxie mean to you? And how do we step into it? I appreciate that we are both soul sisters in terms of taking terms and creating our own vocabulary (laughs) and being unapologetic about what we mean by those terms. Exactly. (laughs) For me, stepping into your moxie means that you possess the mindset and the corresponding skill set to be able to walk into any room or step onto any stage and speak up for yourself, the ideas and the issues that matter most to you. And important to this definition is also knowing that when you speak, people will take action on those words and on those ideas. Mm, I love that. And that sounds really good. It Mm -hmm. also sounds challenging at times. (laughs) What is in the way for most people of doing that? Because when I hear you say that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know my listeners are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. I should do that. A lot of us should all over ourselves, especially... Mm -hmm. My listeners, they have very high expectations of themselves. So why is it so hard to do 
the things we should, especially stepping into our moxie, you know, having a voice, being unapologetic for it, speaking our truth. What are, what's in the way to that? There's a deliberate reason why I didn't call the book Step Into Your Confidence. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that word. That's certainly a piece of moxie. But when we think about using our voices as simply being an act of bravery, it doesn't make space for the reality that we can have all the confidence in the world. But if we're speaking up in a way that is not going to be heard by people with power, whether that's people in our personal lives, family members, significant others, our own children, our own friends, or whether that's in a professional context, whether that's our boss, our team member, our client, it's not going to move people to take action, which is a core part of that definition. So Mm -hmm. when we think about, well, what gets in the way, it's a combination of things. Certainly it's our own self-talk and our own voice, which I know your listeners are very familiar with. It's also not understanding how do we speak to the conversation in the head or in the heads, if it's a, your audience is plural, in order to be able to connect with them so that the whole moving people to action piece is not about us being manipulative or getting our needs met, but it's about co-creating a solution together. Mm, I love that. And one of the things we were talking about before we started recording is the importance of vulnerability. And that's something I talk about a lot on the show. That's how important it is for us to be vulnerable, to not put on a mask, to not be a people pleaser, to not care so much what other people think. However, (laughs) sometimes that can get a little tricky and confusing because being vulnerable sometimes can get in the way of being persuasive and Mm -hmm. holding boundaries. So that to me is an art to, to be able to be vulnerable but still really get your point across and be persuasive and stand your ground and hold your boundaries. That takes time and that takes practice. And I'd love to hear how you have been vulnerable and stayed in your feminine and also been incredibly persuasive and really stood your ground. Mm, I love this question. You ask such good questions. I know you know this. And Mm. yet, hopefully you never tire of being told that. (laughs) Thank you. It is first and foremost... Asking the question anytime I'm thinking about opening my mouth or in a coaching context, if I'm talking to a client, anytime I'm helping them think about what they're going to say when they open their mouth, beginning with the question, what is the ideal outcome I want from this communication? Whether it's a negotiation, whether it's a daring conversation, whether it's a sales call, whether it's a speech. And as a quick follow up to that, asking what's the resistance that my audience is likely going to be in when we have this conversation. So that as we are sculpting what it is that we are going to say, there's all kinds of things we'll curate to be persuasive. And we'll talk about what those things are, but whether it's a story, whether it's a provocative question, whether it's an exercise, whether it's evidence, How are we framing it so that everything that's coming out of us isn't actually about us, even if we're telling a really vulnerable story? And rather, it's always as a persuasive tool to be able to connect and move the person or the people who are listening to us into action, whether that action is a mindset shift, whether that action is creating a new habit, letting go of an old behavior, voting, working with us or anything else. Do you have a personal story about this, about like a time when you really felt like you blended that vulnerability with speaking your truth and being a stand for something that was hard to stand for? Yes. (laughs) I figured. (laughs) There's so many. The yes was a, which one do I select? 
for me, everything about my voice and my desire to show other people how to use theirs shifted a few years into my coaching business. And up until that point, I'd been speaking a lot, but not strategically and consistently flip-flopping between hustling for other people's approval and performing and being funny, but being incredibly invisible behind the content. And I'll explain what that means in a moment. And over-educating and being really in my masculine and taking up lots of space and occasionally throwing in a fist pump and all that stuff that none of it was me. And then I had the opportunity to be the closing keynote speaker at a prestigious social enterprise conference. And, you know, so often when we speak at events, we show up a hot minute before we have to go on. Mm -hmm. But for this particular event, I got there a day early in time for the participants pitch fest. So for some context, each of the approximately 100 people who were in attendance, who were in their 20s, had a couple of minutes to present their big idea for how to harness entrepreneurial solutions to solve a sizable social, economic, or environmental problem. And the pitches were outstanding across the board. They were bold and well-researched and full of heart. And the finalists at this event were voted on by the other attendees. Again, approximately 120-somethings. The audience was 50% female, 50% male. And I'm giving all this background so that those who are listening, you can appreciate why when the finalists' names were announced, I was stunned because every single one of the finalists was male. And Mm. again, they had been voted on by the people in the room. And this was a group of millennials, 50% of them were female, 50% of them were male. And so it was one of the first times in a public forum where I was really stirred up and like, steamier than a boiling teapot that day, (laughs) that I started to ask questions rather than make any assumptions. And what I heard was sobering, but it also really reflects all these issues that we're talking about. Both the young women and the young men said that they picked based on who they saw as the best speaker. In other words, who took up space, who projected confidence, what we would call a more masculine model of delivery. And yet, When I asked, well, who were the speakers out of curiosity that you felt most connected to, whose ideas you would want to champion, what came up again and again and again were a lot of the names of the women. When I unpicked that a little bit more and asked why, again, the young men and the young women were pretty much in alignment, that it was the women who told stories, who were vulnerable, who facilitated trust in some cases, even saying, I still feel like I have a lot to learn before I should accept funding. And yet that, of course, was not seen to be good pitching because it wasn't persuasive. Mm. And the reason why that was not just an interesting moment was because it unlocked in me this realization that I hadn't been persuasive either, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I would get booked to speak, I'd get my speaker fee, and yet nothing ever happened afterward. I didn't have people who would write me and say, you changed my life. As a result, I've been able to do X, Y, Z. One speaking gig rarely led to the next at that point in my career. And it was because in contorting myself 
into who I thought other people wanted me to be, I wasn't really saying anything. And more specifically, I wasn't giving people in my audience permission to really make powerful shifts in their lives either. So I completely scrapped the usual presentation I would give that particular day. I spoke in a completely new way where I told stories, asked questions, allowed myself to have massive skin in the game. The results were extraordinary. I mean, I had what I always envisioned as a motivational speaker you might have happen after people said, can you help me with my own speaking? And Mm -hmm. that was when I pivoted the whole business, but also made a commitment that I would never go back to speaking the way that I did. That was not 100% me and was not in service of my audience because I wasn't asking them to do big things either. Right. Right. What are the big things that you're really asking yourself to do now? I know that was like a huge pivot point, but once Mm -hmm. we ask ourselves one big question, it's not the end of the story. The questions continue. So what do you think is like the bigger question you're answering or the bigger vision that you're really committed to by encouraging people to step more into their moxie? There's a few answers I have to that, but one of the big pieces is recognizing how to use stories to be able to move people to take action. So I would always pick the safe stories that got a good laugh, but weren't really all that uncomfortable, or they'd happened so long ago that I wasn't really still in them. It felt almost like I was an actor in a play and I could mine the moments, but there was a total disconnection. Mm-hmm. After that, I started telling stories from difficult moments in a way that was of service to my audience. So whether that was a story about speaking up about sexual abuse in my family or later on when I went through postpartum depression and use that as a way to talk to women about the voices they were ignoring. Mm-hmm. And then when things didn't go their way, the stories they were getting trapped in. But more important than my stories was always showing folks, again, how to use stories to facilitate transformation for others, for example, is one big thing for me. So let's let's look at some of those, because one thing that I see, especially when I coach entrepreneurs who really want to build a heart-centered business around transformation, is they think that they have to be totally on the other side, like they have to be the happy ending of a story before they can tell it. So something like postpartum depression, for example, I think I'm so glad more women are talking about that because I think that there's been so much shame and so much self-judgment and so much guilt that has gone along with that, that so many women have suffered in silence. So when you started to share about it, were you already on the other side or did you still (laughs) share about it? And I'm, I'm guessing from, I'm guessing no. So let me rephrase. How did you share about that? from while still being in it, right? How do you share while still being in a story of vulnerability and still be powerful and persuasive? The quick answer is you are super clear about where you are in that process so that you don't use the story in front of an audience as a way to self-heal and rather as a way to be of service. The reason I giggled out loud is because I had such an expectation hangover (laughs) the first 60 days of being a new mom for a variety of reasons. But one of the biggest was that I had bought into this story that I I didn't realize I was consciously carrying around that everything was about creating the perfect birth story. So Mm -hmm. my 
husband and I prepared for seven out of the nine months for the delivery, whether it was going to hypnobirthing classes or I was doing the prenatal yoga or working with a lactation consultant. I really had made a second full-time job out of preparing for delivery. Everything went completely off plan. Mm. And yet the important piece of the plan, which is delivering a healthy child did happen despite some difficulties where we weren't sure because she wasn't breathing and it led to an induction and so forth. But then I got home, the cat who I'd had for 15 years of my adult life died within hours after coming home with my daughter. And it sent me into such an emotional tailspin that that coupled with not having enough sleep, certainly having a milk delay because none of my milk had come in yet, given that I was induced and a host of other, like in the grand scheme of things, not serious medical conditions, but they were just difficult (laughs) and feeling like this role that to me defined what it meant to be a woman, the supposedly natural rite of passage suddenly was becoming this moment that had so disconnected me from my own sense of moxie. And in the background, I had made the decision that I was going to take a leave of absence from my business. I created the cash flow to do that. And yet the only thing I wanted to do was go back and work and serve because that's where I felt successful. Mm -hmm. And so the answer to the question, how soon did I start talking about this? Well, the one commitment I had held on to is I was running a face-to-face women's leadership program at the time that met one day a month. And based on when I delivered, it meant that I had one of those sessions two weeks after I'd had my daughter. And so I was right at the beginning of recognizing I had postpartum and there was no way I could show up to this group of women and not acknowledge it. So that wasn't like a keynote in front of a few hundred people. Thank God. This was a group of women I had a relationship with. We were at month four or month five of the program. And I was honest that I didn't really talk one to talk about it yet, but I wanted to own that that was something that was coming up for me and I might cry at wildly inappropriate times. (laughs) (laughs) But then shortly thereafter, I did have a keynote and it was about how do you embrace your own voice and use it in the world? And I knew I couldn't be in my integrity and stand up there and not acknowledge that I was in the midst of postpartum depression. And there's no video record of that particular presentation. I've often thought about it and been fascinated. But similarly, it was, I'm telling this to ask you some questions about your own voice. And that's really the thing about stories is that we often think we have to curate these moments from our li- these moments from our lives that have brought us to our knees, that have questioned our faith. And those can be great moments to be sure. But really to me, the question is always, what's the aha moment I'd ideally like to facilitate for the person or the people who are listening? What's the question or what are the series of questions? Like how can I put on my coach hat and do that for that audience? And what's a story that allows me to move into that question or those series of questions to facilitate that aha versus starting with, oh, this is just an interesting story. So let me share it. And if we are still in the midst of that healing, how do we make sure that the moments we call together are not going to jumpstart a wave of emotion that is self-indulgent and about us? And rather, it's going to still allow us to be in a place of service to that audience. And if we can't do that yet, it's too soon to tell the story. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, And really knowing that there's no there, like we don't have to be there 
to be able to share. And we don't have to like not be, this is one thing I've learned about vulnerability. And I'm curious if you feel the same way. The more conscious I am about being in the energetic frequency and mindset of a seeker and as a spiritual being having a human experience and looking at it from this happened for me, not to me, Mm -hmm. and not at all in the frequency of victim, Mm -hmm. the more powerful my vulnerability is. The second it has an air of victim, one, I lose credibility. Two, not credibility in terms of people are judging, but when we, when someone's coming that has any kind of energy as a victim, it's hard to trust them because most of us don't want to be in that place of victimhood. So that's, that's one of the things. Or other people could really have a comfort zone with that place of victimhood. And so by sharing your vulnerability from a place of victimhood, you're just bringing more people into the energy of victimhood, which serves no one. So that's one thing that I've learned and my coaches have really helped me on is you don't have to be totally over it. You don't have to be to this happened for a reason. I understand the reason, but you've got to be out of the victim. And so one thing that's helped me be more persuasive and vulnerability is to make sure I get my emotions out about it beforehand, you know, to, to cry my tears, to get really angry about it, to have throw myself a big pity party before I start sharing about it publicly. And so there, then if emotion comes up, that's okay. Cause it's just emotion in, in the spirit of vulnerability. It's not emotion in the energy of a pity party. So that's one thing I found very helpful is just to keep in mind, where's my come from? Is there any victim me? Am I still really pissed off about this? Do, am I sharing the story because on some level I want people to feel bad for me or to have an excuse for something? I do those check-ins so that my sharing about it is more clean. I'm just curious if any of that is something that you've thought about or brought into your speeches and your teachings? All of it. That's so, so good about why not to share too soon, how to clean ourselves up before we share to prevent the things that you mentioned. And the one piece I would throw in to augment all of that is throwing down some of the F word that if we are in a place where we are telling a story about characters and we are still hoping for a different outcome, And we have not forgiven fully, which is different than forgetting, obviously. We can still hold people accountable, but not forgiven. And many of those, sometimes that top character is actually ourselves. Then it's also, it's a, we're not, we're not ready yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there are moments, and I think this is the other part we forget, where we could be telling a story for a while. And then something happens in our own life that shifts the story for us. And then suddenly, actually, I shouldn't be telling the story right now (laughs) because it's it's still working its way out. There's a new chapter I didn't see coming. That happened to me right at the time the book came out. And it was difficult because here's this book that has lots of stories from my life with all these moxie lessons. And I started doing promotion right when the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were happening. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget going into an interview. And I had like three or four back to back that day. And I had just gotten off the phone with a family member who was in the hospital, who was literally, as we were speaking, having a tumor cut out of his throat. And I could hear the voice of the person in my family who had perpetrated abuse, whose voice I hadn't heard in a long time. Mm. 
and I could hear the hearings in the background. Mm. And there was something about all of that happening at the same time, like the imagery of this person. And I should mention that the family member who was having the tumors cut out had been somewhat complicit in not speaking up and out on my behalf. Here's this person who had never taken responsibility. And like I'd done like all the deep healing work. I really, really had. But then here is Dr. Ford speaking up and in this environment of not being heard in Congress, like all mm-hmm. of that stuff where I was like, I, I don't know how I can go into an interview right now and talk about issues of speaking up and out about sexual abuse. And so I remember telling one of the interviewers, like, I'm really raw here. So if you want to go there, I'm willing. And mm-hmm. you need to know that a crap ton of emotion is likely to come up in a way that if we'd done this an hour ago, it might not have. Mm-hmm. And some people that day chose to go there mm-hmm. and it made for some really interesting conversation and some people didn't. But mm-hmm. to me, it's always knowing where am I at so that I'm clear on where I can go. I love that. Well, I definitely would have gone there if I'd been interviewing you that day. <laughs> I love that because I think that's how that's how we learn. And, and that's different, right? Because that's just sharing what's present. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just sharing in the processing of it. And to me, that doesn't, that didn't have any victim energy in it because you were basically processing what was present. You know, yeah. one of my coaches, Jennifer, she talks about like all of our sessions are based on what's presenting. Like there's no plan. There's no, this is the issue we're working on. It's like what's presenting right now? What's presenting in your life? What's presenting in your field? What's presenting in your emotions? What's presenting in your body? And let's just go from there. And I think that that's another powerful thing to bring into this conversation is it's important to be clear, to be persuasive, to be vulnerable. And then it's all of that, like kind of falls to the side when you're just really, really connected to the present moment and connected to the divine and connected Mm -hmm. to the core essence of who you are. And whether it's snotty tears that you're, that come up or it's the most motivating speech of your life. If you're dialed in to what is present and what wants to move through you, I often think that's the most powerful contribution we can make. Yes. Which requires us being so present to our intuition and what are the hits that our bodies, not just our brains are sending us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially for women, our bodies, I think are way smarter than our brains mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of the time. Oh, so one other thing that you say in the book is that using your voice is an act of divine service to yourself and the world. What do you mean by that? I'm Greek and there's a Greek word hagios, which means different or set apart or sacred. And I do have a tendency to use the word sacred and holy interchangeably, because to me, it means that we are using what has happened to us to return to something I say in the book. And I know you say a lot as well as something that's happening for us in order to be able to serve. And so I believe that when we present our ideas in a way that aligns with our values that treats the people we want to influence with respect and respects their right to say no. And that what reflects what we really feel is in service of their highest good. That's us stepping into our moxie for holy work. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Anything else you want to share, Alexia, as we wrap up that you think would be really valuable or reassuring or a good reminder for our listeners today? When I time travel back, and it's been over a decade now to 
that pitch fest where sometimes we have a series of things that happen in quick succession that change things. Sometimes things unfold over a long period of time. But for me, that was one of those days where things changed within a few hours. One of the first thoughts I had after I delivered my keynote there was that if I know that my ideas and my way of using my voice can positively and in many cases radically improve people's lives, it's not only an opportunity to speak up, whether it's on stage, in my writing, on podcasts, wherever it is, but it's actually a responsibility because to shirk that to to allow my own self-imposed limitations to create a glass ceiling for service is actually selfish. And that has been what has gotten me out of bed on the difficult days. That is when I'm annoyed mm-hmm. <laughs> if there's something fun in my business allows me to pretty quickly recalibrate. And I offer that hopefully as a gift to anyone who's listening that you're not off the hook by saying, well, it's an opportunity and I can postpone it. But truth telling is a responsibility. Mm. Truth telling is a responsibility. It's so true. Because how else do we break through current paradigms? How else do we make it safe for other people to speak the truth? And how else do we fully live into our full potential? Because if we're not speaking our truth, then pointing the finger at anyone or anything is is hypocritical. It's hypocritical because from my perspective anyway, speaking our truth gives us not only a connection to our power and not only freedom from what's holding us inside, holding us back inside, but it also gives us access to a new paradigm where it's actually safe for people, especially women, to speak our truth so that we don't have to, so that human beings don't have to hold so much in to the point that we do end up blaming and projecting and turning to violence or turning it inward and turning it to disease. So there's, there's so much in that. I think, can you repeat that again? If we know that our ideas can positively and in many cases radically improve people's lives, businesses, careers, health, sex lives, whatever it is, it's not only an opportunity and rather a responsibility mm-hmm. to get out of our own way and be a truth teller. And the succinct form of that was truth telling is a responsibility. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much. Tell people where they can learn more about you and go and get your amazing book. Thank you. I keep it simple across social media platforms. I'm Alexia Vernon. And for more info on the book, folks can visit stepintoyourmoxie.com, which also has some nice book bonuses um, for folks, including an on-demand course on persuasion. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Alexia, for taking responsibility and for speaking your truth and being the advocate and coach and cheerleader for so many others to speak their truth because it's, you know, that the saying, the truth shall set you free. These, these sayings stick around for a reason because they're really powerful. So thank you for helping all of us get more free. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 